Hello, welcome to the AI Buzz with Luca and Josh. I'm Josh Starmer, host of the YouTube channel StackQuest with Josh Starmer, and also a lead AI educator at Lightning AI. And I'm Luca Antiga, CTO at Lightning AI. Today we're going to talk about Sarah Guao's advice to AI entrepreneurs, aligning models to customer needs, Luca's predictions about the future of AI, and programming without programming, or automation for everyone. Also, if you want to take this a step further, check out our read log, the source material and tweets, so you can keep exploring. And so, Luca, one of the things we do uh, every week, or in fact, you do, because you are, are much better about this than I am, is you <laughs> scour social media and Twitter and things like that to find out what exactly is the buzz. Uh, what is buzzing right now? And uh, you pointed out to me, uh, a Twitter thread by Sarah Guo, a sort of a, uh, a thought leader in on Twitter, Twitter, and also a venture capitalist, and it's it's a fascinating uh, thread about how um, large language models are going to change everything. And I thought maybe we could just go through this thread and sort of add commentary to it. And what what do we see is going on? Sarah Guell's tweet was split into 13 parts, which can be found in this week's read log. However, here are the main ideas. Despite the hype, there is real market value for large language models. Don't focus too much on the technical details, and success depends on finding your niche, identifying customers, and creating a user experience that fits. Um, this in particular was uh, interesting to me because it kind of summarized an angle that we should adopt mm. when we talk about um, language models in the context of creating new business and creating value in general. That I think we, we need to start thinking about. And um, it has several points. Um, one of the points is, despite the AI hype that is around today, the, the first months of these things being out and being available to, for people to create my, micro startups or not so micro startups is there's plenty of customer value. So the, the value is there. Uh, these companies yeah. are creating recurrent revenue. Maybe they're picking and then they're like uh, uh, dropping their, their, uh, their adoption. For example, I remember uh, seeing the av one avatar website that uses stable diffusion. Um, that was showing that it peaked to crazy numbers and then something else came up and, you know, uh, they couldn't keep up. Um, but the point is that the customer value is there, especially if we think about LLMs as agents capable of doing things for you, uh, not just creating mm -hmm. your avatar per se or creating art, but, you know, automating something, creating bol uh, boilerplate uh, for you or reviewing your code, whatever. Um, and not only for in instant value, but also retention and, and repeat usage. Um, so another point she was making, she's making is that, um, scratching your head, trying to understand what will stick and what is transient. I just spoke about this, you know, <laughs> adoption curve and because it's uh -huh. probably very, very, it's an exercise of premature optimization somehow. You know, um, and uh, you probably need to go with something and then be ready to listen to users and um, yeah, 
but until you actually start engaging yourself with creating an actual prob- prob- product that solves a problem for a pocket of users out there, and you get the, the feedback from those based on these interactions, like strategizing of what your stack will be, tech- technological stack will be, and kind of build it your build your own, and you know, it's just to accrue a competitive advantage. It's probably not a good strategy. You should start mm-hmm. from the from the bottom. I always say, you know, in if you have to build a product, you should start from the very end, which is uh, which is the start, uh, which is the the uh, the interaction with the user, the and and make make everything else as light as possible, which is. Um, basically what LLMs offer today when, when we talk about, you know, uh, just take one, uh, either self-host it, use an API and start like creating value with that. Um, so the execution and being able to be nimble is going to be the thing that kind of makes a difference and not that much. I'm going to use this model or that model, or I'm going to use a stack on one language or the other or where I'm hosting my applications. These are problems that will come after. Uh, and uh, so AI, up-level AI experimentation, uh, which is what uh, um, this person we're referring to um, uh, uh, talks about is, um, is, is the core and in the context of a specific uh, application domain. And... Mm-hmm. And this is also why uh, in our daily life, we're kind of interested at Lightning. We're very interested at talking to scientists, uh, talking to people in other domains that it's not AI per se, because this is where the extra context will come in and create something really unique. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, um, and and then there was like a piece of, of the thread that really fascinated me <laughs> because I think it was spot on. Okay. Um, and that's, it's a bit controversial for controversial for maybe, you know, traditional, uh, AI practitioners, but, uh, it says verbatim researchers knocking chat GPT as a model that had basically already existed publicly for a year in GPT playground, uh, or as an API, uh, and those who are knocking up companies in things shims on foundation model APIs have fallen prey to technical arrogance. And I, I really <laughs> agree with that, right? So it's, it doesn't matter if it's thin. And this is something we were saying in the last episode, right? If it's thin, if it's yeah. just a prompt on top of a language model, yes, it makes you prey of competition because yeah. you know your competitive advantage is really yeah. small. And if you figure out what the, uh, what the prompt that you use is, somebody else can do it. But in the meantime, you've, we will have acquired users. You will have addressed an, a real problem and so on. So it doesn't really matter if it's just a standard language model with a small prompt in the front. The point is that you're actually getting to solve uh, um, uh, a need. And uh, yeah. and this is what the value of these models is. is they, you get from that to the create potential creation of value really quickly if you're executing correctly. Yeah. To, um, to interrupt a little bit, going back to the very first point that uh, Sarah Guo makes is that she says founders are going from zero to $10 million in ARR, annual recurring revenue in the first 18 months. 
of efficient selling and leveraging of LLMs against niche cases, niche niche use cases. So uh, specifically like, you know, trying to summarize, like you were saying, summarize a telephone call or something like one thing we've done in this uh, or the reading guide is we use some sort of large language model to summarize this this Twitter thread. And so we've summarized it and or using a large language model. And it's an amazing summary. And it's a great, great example of a great use case of how it's not super complicated. Uh, and yeah, it's not like it's not ground. It's not like blowing our minds in terms of sophistication and co complexity or like, yes, potentially other people could be doing this. But the point is, these people are doing it now for us. Uh, and so we're on board. We're just right here right now. Um, and they've got it while it's hot. Uh, and I think yep. that's sort of an important point that 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 companies are going from zero to a, a huge amount of money relatively quickly. Um, and and the and the only thing they're doing is 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 really finding their audience for a relatively narrowly focused use of a large language model. Yeah. Um, which I yeah. think is I think is, you know, it's very encouraging. And it also, yeah, it, it points out that that it's not just the technology, it's not just um, all the infrastructure, it's not just making the coolest large language model, it's about learning how to apply it in a very specific way. Yeah, we are so used to, for, uh, for these things to be hard to make, that a lot of companies yeah. are focused on, well, it's easy to make, so why should we bother? But that's, that's a normal yeah. state, right? Easy to make would be great. If you then, you know, need to think about a product and sometimes we kind of mix the hard to make with the value you will create. And these tools are like, uh, bringing to our attention that is, this is not necessarily the case. And, uh, you can build something very valuable, valuable with, uh, yeah. a relatively, uh, small technical complexity. Of course, you know, when you scale up, when you do, you know, then technique and when you want to reduce costs you have a ton of users you call out to an external api you're spending all your money on that and you know I, i've played with various apis and i saw money being like going down like really really quickly so <laughs> these things are not cheap but yeah for validating a product idea that's not a problem. That's a problem you will have later on when yep. you have to kind of engineer. Um, for sure, it looks a lot like patchwork today. So you, mm -hmm. you know, uh, calling out to uh, APIs and, and is, is what you do usually, but then how do you patch things together? How do you have a good user flow? How do you don't um, yeah. uh, not uh, confuse the user or manage the unpredictability that language models has. These are real problems mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. tools that kind of help solving those problems will be very instrumental in this space. And all the safety stuff is, of course, uh, rocket high. <laughs> and we've seen it with yeah, yeah. many LLM pro pro products. So it's not that yeah. we're in a space where everything has been figured out. Not at all. Well, what we're saying yeah. is these objects, these artifacts are things that we haven't, we didn't have before. And they kind of change all the balance for what yeah. the future is looking like. And uh, 
So we're trying to read uh, what the future could be looking like, even though we know for well that, oh, you know, you can take a model and trick it to say something stupid. Yes, of course. You know, <laughs> it's not a yeah. miracle. But this doesn't change the fundamental fact that a, a lot of trade-offs that we were uh, kind of used to and checks and balances that we're used to and roles and blah, blah, blah are going to be subverted in a very short time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was sort of thinking about, um, you know, people were potentially belittling ChatGPT because like, um, or creating companies based on that or based on these existing foundation models um, as like real thin, not that important. But I, what you're saying is that the importance is, isn't necessarily the technological hurdle on, on its own. It's being able to attract users and customers. And once you have those, sure, you can get, uh, some capital, some, some resources, some money to then invest in your own implementation of that large language model so that you can cut down costs and you can streamline it then. But you don't need to start off with that, right? If you start off with that and you don't have a way of guaranteeing that you know you're going to draw in people, uh, then you're just wasting a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money. And it's better to stay light and stay quick and stay fast and just try things until you find something that sticks and brings the people in. And then that's the appropriate time to think about what's going to, what, it, what do you need to do to take you to the next level so that you're actually making a profit uh, off of all these experiences, user experiences that you're generating. Yeah. And this doesn't only apply to new companies or micro startups or startups and so on. Yeah. It actually applies maybe even more <laughs> to established businesses, right? They want to jump in on this. Yeah. They they need, for sure, they need uh, environments in which they can develop these things that are really, really fast and get them to value as soon as possible, as fast yeah. as possible, so they can iterate from there. And it has never been more true than right now. Um, yeah. So anyway, the great thread... We had a, a good time yeah. um, talking about it. There, there are many points. I think that um, one one of the points was you know ChatGPT reached a lot of users, uh, a lot more users than its like API counterpart or other kind of models of that kind, uh, because it has an interface that makes sense to consumers. I think the interface there. Yes, it's true. It's one of the statements um, in the thread. Um, I think yeah. it it's true if we think about the user interface as two things. One is I just have a chat and I type my thing in there. It's very accessible. That's for sure true. The other thing is the user interface for a model is the way it's been aligned. And we talked about alignment a lot until now. So... Yeah. If you have a model that you need to prompt in very specific ways, this is the equivalent of a clunky UI <laughs> where you need to know how yeah. to use it in order to use it. So if you see your friend clicking yeah. here, here, and there, maybe you can kind of understand what to do. But the, the fact that ChatGPT has been aligned using what we described in the past, uh, our LHF and, and, uh, uh, and with ranking and so on, uh, to produce an experience that looked like a question answer and engagement that looks kind of more human like um, yeah and that also kind of is tolerant to uh, 
the prompt being non very specific, but still can hone in on the thing you meant. Uh, that's the UI for for models, right? Uh, yeah. So I think ChatGPT, yes, it was in a form the chat chatbot, but also it has been aligned in a way that may, turns it into a product. So again, yeah. you know, uh, alignment itself is a way of productizing something, not just refining on a certain certain subject, not just uh, injecting new knowledge in that thing, but also making that thing interact yeah. in a way that is what your product needs to be doing, right? So uh, this is uh, a consideration that I think it's important. I think it's a big deal because uh, in terms of the alignment, because say like, uh, you know, a traditional Google, I, I know I've mentioned this before, a traditional Google search, you have to think in terms of keywords in order to get a useful, you know, yep. search results. Uh, on the first couple of pages and not have to go through 20 pages before you find the thing you want. So in a way, as a user, I have to think about Google. I have to think about how to use Google and I have to plan it and I have to be part of the machine somehow. <laughs> exactly. I have yeah. to be part of the machine. I have to understand yeah. it. Whereas this is the, this is completely opposite that now the, now the machine understands us and we don't have to, I don't have to think about what the chat GPT needs to know in order to do a good job at what it does. Instead, I can just, I can just be conversational and it reveals itself to me uh, rather than the other way around. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's groundbreaking. And I think if, if people apply that in more settings, it's, it's just going to be, it's almost going to be like invisible. It'll be there. Yeah, be part, exactly. you know, it's almost like, like right now we've got auto complete with tweet, you know, with, with, with texts and email and things like that, but it's going to, it's going to be like that, but a million fold more and a million fold better. And every little instances of the, that use is a, is a potential startup. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. uh, and we'll take it to the extreme by the end of the episode, I think <laughs> this concept of every little use, right? <laughs> Because we chatted yeah. uh, uh, half an hour ago, and kind of we uh, something yeah. came up that was really interesting. I think so. We'll 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 touch on that in a second. But we're talking a lot about ChatGPT itself, right? And it's not about. Yeah. And we said it already. It's not about ChatGPT. It's about this category of models. And ChatGPT is an, an example of a very capable model yeah. that was aligned to do something. So we're taking it as an example, but. What are the predictions, right, for the for the near future? So, will will we be stuck with instances of uh, those two, three things or two, three models? What what will happen, right? Where's the end of this? Because right now we're actually <laughs> the whole thing just started. Yes, they have been out for a while, but this kind of models have been available for a few months, and they're already kind of kind of yeah. uh, impacting. A lot, and uh, and there are many smaller models, right? Uh, that can uh, classify a sentiment of a particular text, and so on. So you cannot have a conversation, you cannot ask them to do something complex, but they will do a very specific task very effectively. So, what will we be doing in the future, right? So, what is the trade-off there? So, I I think it's also a bit interesting to kind of explore that. Um, models will get very capable really soon. 
Um, my, yeah. One of the questions I have is, will they get to a point where the cost-benefit will be that, you know, the model is capable enough? When I say capable enough is, I think, is not really to understand your what you're saying, but actually to understand, figure out what to do. You know, if I say, yeah. oh, I need to go on vacation, I need you to book my tickets. And the, the model will be able to kind of blurb out all the operations and actually, you know, have a runtime that, you know, collects information for that and figure out what to do. And it's already partially possible, right? Yeah. So where when is capable enough enough? This is one question. And my my bet is that there will be a category of models that will be capable as capable as the ones today but then they will get a lot smaller right so a smaller mm -hmm. model that is capable enough and is small enough to be served by you either on the cloud or something right um but with a limited cost right now there's kind of a yeah. uh, a separation between models small enough to be used directly without actually having be to gate be gate kept behind an API, right? Um, and these models are not at the level of GPT 3.5 or ChatGPT today. There are some open source models, but they're not aligned as well. You know, there's a safety mm -hmm. question and mm -hmm. so on. So um, the prediction though, is that we'll get there eventually quite, quite quickly as well. So at some point the world will be in a world where you can have your own or ping an API to do it. Uh, and there will be a, a, a population of models that are, will be capable enough to, yeah. to be meaningfully uh, impactful for your business or whatever, to create new products. Um, the, and, and I think the divide there will be um, if a model is able to be to behave uh, uh, in in compute reason and compute in context based on the prompt. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, one one thing where we see from GPT is you 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 give it a like the rules of the game and it will start behaving according to those rules, right? So say okay, yeah, you yeah. know every time you hear this, spit that, and then you know or take this text, put it into bullet points that are formatted this way. You know, first I want, you know, the introduction, then blah, 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 and it will do it. So that's what I, what I mean when I say capable enough, as opposed to I yeah. train a model, small model to summarize text, and all we will do is take the text and summarize it, but will not follow instructions. Um, yeah, exactly. Right, that, that's a, a big uh, divide, I think. And, uh, and it's kind of the reasoning part of it uh, yeah and so there will be like open models and closed models coexisting uh, and uh, probably closed models will be higher quality for a while and then open models will 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 trail uh, but especially for alignment it's possible that they will trail uh, for a bit um, a bit like you know open source software is there's amazing open source software but it probably came yeah. a bit after. <laughs> um, yeah, especially when you always, talk about yeah. UIs, you know, if you ever use open source UI, there's uh, great software out there, but sometimes there's a refinement factor 
that it's hard to get into from 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 open source software. I'm not general, like probably I'm overgeneralizing, yeah. but just to give like a parallel uh, an idea, it's really hard to find uh, software that was homebrew from the community that has this unifying, like super polished look. And I think similar yeah. things will apply to alignment because I think going back to, you know, you ChatGPT and the UI of ChatGPT is the way you align. So, uh, and I'm not saying that this won't happen. I'm just saying that this will be the tricky part uh, for open models and yeah. this, you know, but the models will be very capable probably and uh, gives us a lot of opportunities there. Uh, yeah. to to create yeah. experiences in the end, right? Uh, UI is or UX is, is about yeah creating the experience. Um, yeah, because in the end, you know, what do you use software for? To make the machine do something for you, right? And how do you provide instructions to a machine? Well, either through a UI or through programming. And so, yeah. programming is a way to you know instruct a machine to do something for you. But for most people, this was too hard. So we have applications that kind of di like uh, dissect, uh, dissect, uh, or sorry, uh, create an experience again around that particular thing I need to do, so I don't have to code it myself, and I can actually, as a human, I can provide my intentions by clicking the buttons that some other human figured out would be like the right thing to expose. Yeah. I think with LLM is becoming a bit like. In, in the future, it will become a bit more like blurred because the programming being about creating, uh, enabling automation and LLMs being able to be, to take instructions, to perform automations. Um, we can easily see that, right? That uh, more people will program, right? Uh, yeah. So machines will be, capable of executing programs that are expressed by the end user directly. So in a way, you know, we're getting into a situation where personal applications will have a kind of a resurgence. I mean, it's kind yeah. of, maybe it won't be the case, but if you think about it, a lot of, a lot of applications being a, about automation, uh, yeah. And those applications being fine-tuned by somebody who knows how to program and then, you know, extrapolating a, an experience that is usable. Now, if I can express the same need to something that can directly interpret that need and make something happen on top of that, then the boundary between what I need to figure out in a UX that is kind of already, yeah. like, codified by a human, and that boundary is going to put, be pushed down towards the machine because right now I have a layer that helps me, you know, express my needs in a certain domain, of course, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a bit like, I don't know, I'm thinking that maybe, you know, things like uh, your folder automations on the Mac or, you know, going out to the automator, that it's always like they try to make it simple, but it's never simple because the moment yeah. you need to do something complicated, then the programming goes in. And so you need to like, Write for loops because it fundamentally the 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 operating system is is done right, but now we have a middleman, yeah. and um, yeah, and so you know both of us are not too young, and so we remember. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember HyperCard? 
Yeah, that was my first true love. That was the one that brought me to the dance. Um, uh, when I was a kid, I loved Hypercard because it was uh, it wasn't like programming. It was it was more like drawing pictures. And I'm a very if people if you see my YouTube channel, you know that I'm a very visual person. Yes. And Hypercard was you 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 start off with a blank canvas and and the first thing you do, you don't write like include standard io.h or, or import some library or even type print hello world that's not what you do the first thing what you do is you is you click on the paintbrush tool and you draw hello world and i'm like oh i can do that uh and then what you can do is then you could like select the h and hello and you can you know with like a, a a lasso tool or whatever and and when you selected it uh, a, a dialogue would open up and it'd say, what do you want to have happen if someone clicks on the H, you know? Um, and I would be like, well, if they click on the H, I want the, to make a, like a horn sound, like play mm -hmm. horn sound. And so, and, and then that's, that's the way programming was. So then I had this program that shows, it says, hello world. And you click on the H and you have a little like trumpet sound and, and it, and it was all, but it was based on, uh, for me, it was, I, I mean, I just loved it because it was based on doing things visually and sort of like pointing at things and selecting them and then assigning some task to the, to whatever it is, like, a, like if people click on it or the mouse goes over it. And, and to me, it was like transformative and changed everything. Uh, but it seems like may and one thing that was cool is because it, because i could understand it i could write any program i wanted basically uh in a in a real simple way and, and i think what we're saying here is that era of like individuals being able to do the programming is going to come back soon and like you're saying earlier you know you could you could have a company that books tickets for us or i could say you know whatever language models running on my desktop because it's small enough that it can and the computers you know in two years are fast enough this is like a convergence of those two things computing speeds plus the models themselves shrinking to like an essential size and i could say uh book me tickets to hawaii for a fantastic vacation and instead of someone in some headquartered company far away the computer itself then writes the program to do that or and it does becomes that my personal without writing the program. program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It or it just does. Yeah, that, or it just right? does it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So uh, and so there's all yeah. this automation that just happens. Exactly. So I think in terms of yeah. personal applications, yeah, you know, uh, like I had a fascination for HyperCard as well, and uh, you know mm -hmm. th the thing was that when you then want to do make it do something complex that it was not visual. Yeah. Then you need to, yeah. like, he'd had this HyperTalk programming language yeah. that looked like natural language. So all the intuitions were there, of course. But then, you know, yeah. lacking a real natural language to program kind of, or to actions directly, right? Uh, interpreter. Yeah. Then as things became more complicated, the HyperTalk, the complexity of the HyperTalk you had to write like went on and on to resemble more and more uh, an actual programming language because you had to loop, you had uh, conditions yeah. and so on. Yes, they were expressed simply. And all this card yeah. analogy helped kind of mitigating the complexity yeah. of things. So that was great. The premise and the purpose of that was, I think, aligned with what will happen in the, 
right now. So it's not really that we have a, a system to generate programs. We have a system right now that can interpret the intentions and action them. Um, and yeah. so this will empower people not really to code or to help them code, but help with automation tasks that may be, you know, simple or not so simple, like, you know, writing a text is not simple, but like writing some boilerplate yeah. at this point is easy because you just ask it to the, and it's fine because you'll see people getting absolutely addicted to this, like in real time, like instantly. <laughs> right. So this yeah, is yeah. Uh, an, an effect that uh, something that is sticky. Now, when this thing can actually perform actions, why should I wait for somebody to code something for me that conforms to my needs, right? I could just try to do it myself. And if it's simple enough, yeah. and so the level of complexity that these things can, that, that the bridge be between my intention expressed in natural language and what I can achieve uh, is going higher and higher. So I can do complex things. So I think the, the premise of HyperCard uh, somehow is being brought back in a different form. But I think, you know, this quote, uh, there, there was a guy, like he was uh, uh, Apple, uh, and not from Apple, but he, he was following in the 80s. It was following the technology and so on. And there's this quote in Wikipedia uh, on the Hypercar page, I see. And I, I, I want to read it because, you know, we can make the parallel between this and the kind of applications that we will be able to, to, uh, to create. And it says, the beauty of, of HyperCard is that it lets people program without having to learn how to write code. We, what I call programming for the rest of us. Uh, HyperCard has made it possible for people to do things they wouldn't have had ever thought of doing uh, in the past without a lot of heavy-duty programming. It's, uh, it's led a lot of known programmers like me into that loop. And I think the, pro the promise yeah. was not achievable at the time. But I think the... the yeah. The, the the goal for it, I think it's becoming achievable. So how does this translate into, you know, what product we'll be building as entrepreneurs or, you know, we'll be funding as VCs mm -hmm. in the future? Uh, it's not necessarily just personalized applications, but it's, it's interesting to me the fact that um, the, the boundaries are so mobile at this point. So the user is empowered yeah. and the empowerment of the user uh, will bring in new paradigms and even the UI itself probably maybe will simplify because now I don't need to kind of click into things. I have something that I can have a unstructured conversation with. So even that thing will change things dramatically. So uh, universal ways of interacting with a complex applications will be a bit more achievable. Yeah, we're on the front part of, I feel like, a transformative time. Uh, just the way sort of social computing was a big thing 10, 15 years ago, sort of a revolutionary thing where all of a sudden computing came, computing and using computers and using digital devices like uh, smartphones uh, made made that kind of um a transition from something that maybe just nerds did to something that everybody does and i think the next transformation right now is used to be just the nerds did all the programming and that meant they did all the auto automation and now you're gonna now what you're saying luca is that the new transformation now is just like the smartphone meant everyone used computers now everyone's gonna do automation yeah yeah